2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Breaking news. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. That's a live shot right there of the Roosevelt Room in the White House, where any minute now, President Biden is going to speak about the new COVID strain which, as you know, is raising alarm around the world. We're going to take you there live. Also want to show you the markets. They are bouncing back today following Friday's big sell-off. Let me show you where we currently stand this hour. Decent day for stocks, certainly after Friday. We are off the best levels, though. NASDAQ, the biggest winner thus far on the day, up nearly one three quarters percent The S&P 500, better than 1% as well. Dow doing okay, was up better than this. It's still up some 215 points. I've got the investment committee with me, as always, today. Joining me for the hour, Brenda Vingello, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, and Joe Terranova. Guys, it's good to see everybody Let me remind you as well, uh, the president is set to speak in just a matter of of moments, and we're going to go there live. So forgive me if I have to jump away from your comments in the middle. The biggest question I have for all of you, because we didn't have a show on Friday and we weren't able to hear from you, is to what degree, Jim, since you've been the one who's most all in in this market, is this a game changer in how you're thinking about the way you're investing right now, if at all?
3: Yeah, I'm not changing my tune, Scott. I'm staying all in and I'm overweight to the cyclicals. Now, let me give you two points here. First is, if you take a look at the S&P 500 equally weighted index versus the market cap headline index over the last six months, it's the market cap index that has wildly outperformed. And the equally Jim,
2: weighted I'm going to interrupt index. you right now because let's listen to the president.
4: Hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving, able to get together with your family and friends. And uh <clears throat> It was great to see uh, so many families getting together this Thanksgiving after being apart last year. And we have much to be grateful for as a nation. When I was elected, I said I would always be honest with you. So today, I want to take a few moments to talk about the new COVID variant first identified last week in Southern Africa. It's called the Omicron. It is, the uh, to their credit, the scientific community in South Africa quickly notified the world of the emergence of this new variant. This kind of transparency is to be encouraged and applauded because it increases our ability to respond quickly to any new threats. And that's exactly what we did. The very day the World Health Organization identified the new variant, I took immediate steps to restrict travel from countries in southern Africa. But while we have that travel restrictions can slow the speed of Omicron, it cannot prevent it, but here 's what it does: It gives us time it gives us time to take more actions, to move quicker, to make sure people understand you have to get your vaccine, you have to get the shot, you have to get the, get the booster if you're the sooner or later we 're going to see cases of this new variant here in the United States we 'll have to face this new threat just as so we face those that have come before it today. There are three messages about the new variant that I want the American people to hear. First, this variant is a cause for concern, not a cause for panic. We have the best vaccine in the world, <clears throat> the best medicines, the best scientists, and we're learning more every single day. And we'll fight this variant with scientific and, and knowledgeable actions and speed, not chaos and confusion. We have more tools today to fight the variant than we've ever had before. From vaccines to boosters, to vaccines for children five years and older, and much more. A year ago, America was floundering against the first variant of COVID. We beat that variant significantly, and then we got hit by a far more powerful threat, the Delta variant. But we took action, and now we're seeing deaths from Delta come down. We'll fight the, you know, and look, we're going to fight and beat this new variant as well. We're learning more about this new variant every single day. And as we learn more, we're going to share that information with the American people candidly and promptly. Second, the best protection, I know you're tired of hearing me say this, the best protection against this new variant or any of of the variants out there, the ones we've been dealing with already, is getting fully vaccinated and getting a booster shot. Most Americans are fully vaccinated, but not yet boosted. If you're 18 years or over and got fully vaccinated before June the 1st, go get the booster shot today. They're free and they're available at 80,000 locations coast to coast. A fully vaccinated booster person is the most protected against COVID. Do not wait. Go get your booster if it's time for you to do so. And if you are not vaccinated, now's the time to get vaccinated and take your children to be vaccinated. Every child age five or older can get safe, effective vaccines now. While it will be a few weeks before we know everything we need to know about how strongly the existing vaccines protect against the new variant, Dr. Fauci is with me today of our medical team and uh, believe that the vaccines will continue to provide a degree of protection against severe disease. And as additional protections, please wear your mask when you're indoors, in public settings, around other people. It protects you, it protects those around you. Third, in the event, hopefully unlikely, that updated vaccinations or boosters are needed to respond to this new variant, we will accelerate their development and deployment with every available tool. I want to reiterate, Dr. Fauci believes that the current vaccines provide at least some protection against the new variant, and the booster strengthen that protection significantly. We do not yet believe that additional measures will be needed. But so that we are prepared, if needed, my team is already working with officials at Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, to develop contingency plans for vaccines or boosters if needed. And I will also direct the FDA and the CDC to use the fastest process available without cutting any corners for safety to get such vaccines approved and on the market if needed. And we'll do that the same way any modifications are needed or current treatments need to used to help those with uh, who get ill with the COVID virus. Look. I'm, uh, I'm sparing no effort and removing all roadblocks to keep the American people safe. All of this is uh, confusing to a lot of people. But if it's confusing to do, let me close with this simple message. If you are vaccinated but still worried about the new variant, get your booster. If you aren't vaccinated, get that shot. Go get that first shot. My team at the White House will provide me with daily updates this week. And on Thursday, I'll be putting forward a detailed strategy outlining how we're going to fight COVID this winter, not with shutdowns or lockdowns, but with more widespread vaccinations, boosters, testing, and more. I promised every American that there will be always be the latest vaccines available and the booster shots available to them and for free and everywhere available. Every single American, free of charge, and I will keep that commitment. But we need to do more than vaccinate Americans. To beat the pandemic, we have to vaccinate the world as well. And America is leading that effort. We've shipped for free more vaccines to other countries than all other countries in the world combined. Over 275 million vaccines to 110 countries. Now we need the rest of the world to step up as well. Let me be clear. Not a single vaccine shot Americans ever send to the rest of the world will ever come at the expense of any American. I will always make sure that our people are protected first. But vaccinating the world is just one more tool in how we need to meet our moral obligation as Americans and how to best protect Americans as well. The Delta variants and now the Omicron variant all emerged elsewhere in the world. So we can't let up until the world is vaccinated. We're protecting Americans by doing that as well. As we continue this effort, let's remember where we stand. We're in a very different place as we enter the month of December this month compared to where we were last last September, last Christmas. Last Christmas, fewer than one percent of American adults were vaccinated. This Christmas, the number will be over 71 percent including more than 86 percent of seniors. Last Christmas, our children were at risk without a vaccine. This Christmas, we have safe and effective vaccines for children ages five and older, with more than 19 million children and counting now vaccinated. Last year, a majority of schools were closed. This year, 99 percent of our schools are open. Let me reiterate once more. We also now have booster shots that provide extra protection. They're free and convenient. There is still time to get your first two shots or your booster shot or get your children vaccinated before Christmas. All three are available and can be done before Christmas. If you and your family are fully vaccinated, you can celebrate the holidays much more safely. And given where we were last year, that's a blessing that none of us should take for granted. We're throwing everything we can at this virus, tracking it from every angle. And that's what we have to keep doing. That's how we reopened our country. That's how we reopen our businesses. That's how we reopen our schools. That's how, even with the pandemic, we've generated a record job creation, a record economic growth in this country. We've moved forward in the face of COVID-19. We have moved forward in the face of the Delta variant. And we move forward now in the face of the Omicron variant as well. So thank you. and God bless our troops. And I hope you all have. I'll be speaking before then, but a Merry Christmas as we approach it. Uh, Questions?
5: Should Americans be
6: worried, sir? Let
4: me call on Nancy Bloomberg.
6: Thank you so much, President Biden. Um, Do you think that uh, other countries will be reluctant to um, report variants or other strains given the travel ban that you put so quickly on South Africa?
4: No, I I, I, I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going to happen and uh i want to again the reason for the immediate travel ban is there were a significant number of cases unlike any other country well the few around south africa in the world we needed time to give people an opportunity to say get that vaccination now before it heads it's going to move around the world i think it's almost inevitable there will be at some point that uh, that strain here in the united states um but I don't, uh, I don't think anyone's going to be reluctant to report. We have also moved to uh, do more. For, for example, we've provided more vaccines, as I said, than all other countries in the world combined. And we've provided significant vaccines as well to South Africa and that region. Matter of fact, South Africa doesn't need any more vaccine. They're having trouble getting it out into people's arms, and the reluctance is there. But no, I don't think it's going to have that effect.
6: Let me think call
4: the on Alexis. 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 Or,
7: Alex? Or, or, Alex? We've got two
4: Alex. <laughs> well, Alex Reuters.
7: Yes, thank you so much, Mr. President. I wanted to ask if the U.S. is doing anything to screen international travels for this variant, and what is being done, if anything, internally to see if the virus, this variant, has already arrived.
4: Well, there's a lot being done. Uh, I'm going to turn to Dr. Fauci to uh, answer the last question about what's being done.
8: Doc? Thank you, Mr. President. We already have in place when people come into the United States, they have to be tested before they get on and they have to show vaccination uh, uh, documentation. So even before Omnicorn came in, we have a situation where we'll be able to test. And in talking about testing – so fortunately for us, the PCRs that we mostly use would pick up this very unusual variant that has a real large constellation of mutations. Fortunately for us, that the PCRs that we do, do pick it up.
4: And uh, we're following extremely closely the medical community, the COVID team, uh, any Developments as it relates to how severe it is, how quickly it muta- how quickly it spreads, how dangerous it is, et cetera. We have more work to do in that area. And uh, Wall Street Journal, Sabrina. Uh,
7: thank, you. thank you, Mr. President. Uh, the UK, Europe, and a growing number of countries have confirmed cases of Omicron. Are you considering additional travel restrictions on countries where the variant has been detected? And just separately, you urged Americans to wear masks in indoor public spaces, but many states and cities, including Washington, D.C., have lifted mask mandates. So are you calling on state and local officials to reinstate mask mandates?
4: Uh, With regard to the last question, the answer is uh, I uh, I encourage everyone to uh, wear a mask when they're indoors in a crowded circumstance like we are right now. Um, And unless you're eating or speaking at a microphone. Um, And uh, Secondly, um, uh, the degree of the spread impacts on whether or not there's a need for any travel restriction. But that's not—I don't anticipate that at this point. And we'll see. We'll see where that works. And so the other Alex doesn't have a heart attack. I want to call on him. Is uh, it that,
7: it, yes. I- sure. Mr. President? <laughs> is <it Dr>. Alex. <laughs> Two females. No, I, I'm not
9: an Alex, but I'd
4: love to. Ask one
7: question. <laughs> and the other oh,
4: Alex. Okay, yeah. I may ask the other Alex, and then <laughs> you. Sure. sure.
7: Um, Mr. President, uh, is this the new normal that Americans should expect, anticipating future uh, potential variants? Should we expect intermittent travel restrictions and potential drops in the stock market going forward? Do you have any words of reassurance that this won't become the new normal? And then for both you and Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci said earlier on CBS that. Uh, lockdowns, shutdowns are off, off the table for uh, restraining COVID going forward. You said that won't be part of your plan on Thursday, but why is that? Why are you taking that off the table?
4: Well, answer your first question first. uh, The answer is I expect this not to be the new normal. I expect the new normal to be everyone ends up getting vaccinated in the booster shot. So we reduce the number of people who aren't protected to such a low degree that we're not seeing the spread of these viruses. Now, we remain to be seen exactly what the elements of this particular strain are. But if, uh, as I hope, then it's not going to be fundamentally different than in the past. Um, And uh, in terms of uh, what was the second part of the question?
7: Are lockdowns off the table? Yes, for now. Yes. Why is that?
4: Well, because we're able to, if people are vaccinated and wear their masks, there's no need for lockdowns.
5: So um, my last question, go, yes, going on from from that question, uh, we've got the Christmas period coming up. Huge amount of travel. Um, would you give any thought to domestic flights requiring test or vaccine for people get on planes the same way as they do for international flights?
4: Well, at this point, that's not been recommended. I would wait for my uh, the scientific community to give, give me a recommendation on that.
9: Are travel restrictions too late to be effective, sir, given that Dr. Fauci says this new mm-hmm. variant could already be here?
4: You understand the point of the the travel of the restriction to give us time to get people to get protection to be vaccinated and get the booster that's the reason for it thank you all so very very much i appreciate it thank you and i'm sure i'll see you between now and christmas but uh, hope you had a good thanksgiving thanks
2: All right. That is President Biden there, as you see, uh, flanked by the vice president and also Dr. Fauci with an update on the new covid variant. One, the president says is cause for concern, but not a cause for panic. He continues to urge more vaccinations, including booster shots for those who are uh, eligible. And there at the end, importantly, says uh, lockdowns are off the table for now. That, according to President Biden, also saying that at least for the moment that Dr. Fauci believes that current vaccines provide some degree of protection against severe disease, but we're not going to know uh, for another couple of weeks until they can uh, have more surveillance on this new variant. We do have Kayla Tausche and Meg Terrell standing by. Kayla, I'm going to go to you first on what we just heard from the president and how the administration is handling this new news.
6: Well, Scott, it is very clear that the president and the administration are using this variant as a fresh plea for Americans to get vaccinated and get boosted, and saying the purpose of those new travel bans is simply to buy time to allow more Americans to get vaccinated, essentially saying that it is inevitable that this variant will present itself uh, in a a potentially uh, unmistakable way here in the U.S., but that he hopes that it will not be the new normal that the country is constantly preparing for for uh, new variants to crop up and new travel bans to take place, that the new normal, he hopes, will be a mass vaccination across the country. As you note, he did say he does not believe additional measures will be needed to update the vaccines and boosters to fit this new variant, but uh, that if that is required, he will ask the FDA and the CDC to do so in the most expeditious manner uh, possible. He also underscored that the administration took as quick action as it possibly could, given the information that was provided to it by South Africa. And that's an important note, Scott, because everything for this administration is tied back to getting the pandemic under control. The president's approval rating is tied to covid economic growth in this country is tied to covid. So to the extent that the administration uh, can act quickly and convince Americans that it is acting quickly, uh, then a lot is on the line here, not only for the health of the country, uh, but also the success of this administration. Scott,
2: Yeah, Kayla and uh, Meg, I'll go to you now. there's much we don't know, uh, obviously, but what the president did say, at least currently, according to Dr. Fauci, is that the current vaccines provide some degree of protection against severe disease. Dare I say the market looked to take a little bit of a move higher as the president was saying that the Dow as we see it now is up by just slightly uh, uh, less than 300 points. What do you make of that?
10: Yeah, you know, that is the expectation. Of course, we're going to have to wait to see the results from these studies, uh, the first of which should come in over the next week or two, just the the lab tests, really, to see how well these vaccines can neutralize the Omicron variant. Um, But the expectation is that, A, they should hold up fairly well against severe disease. We've seen that with variants like beta in the past that have dented uh, the protection uh, from the vaccines to some degree. Um, The also big thing there is the emphasis on getting boosters. Dr. Fauci is made the point that if you can get the antibody levels up really high, that you should get protection against variants, even if they're not perfectly tailored to that variant. We should also note that even as we are worried about this new variant coming into the country, we're not in a great situation with Delta cases right now either. Hospitalization's also going in the wrong direction. And so if they can increase the number of people who get booster shots, they're probably hoping to make a dent in Delta as well, not just prepare for this variant.
2: All right. That's Meg Terrell, Kayla Tausche with our team coverage of the president's comments. I do want to show you the markets once again as we watch for stocks trying to rebound after Friday's big sell off. As I mentioned, the Dow is up shy of 300 points. Not the highs of the day. But again, we've added about 30 or so points since our show began. The president was speaking, of course, the S&P 500 up one and a half percent. Nasdaq's trying to get a two percent gain uh, going uh, just a little past 12 here in the east. Uh, Growth stocks, tech stocks doing a little bit better than perhaps some of the cyclical stocks uh, would be more broadly. Jim Labenthal, let me just come back to you since I had to uh, interrupt you mid-sentence. The the takeaway from you sounded thus far as you're not doing anything different relative to, to what we've we've learned thus far.
3: Uh, correct scott i'm staying invested three quick reasons quick bullet points here first off very importantly vaccines and treatments for covid are lowering the mortality rate that is vitally important i heard what kayla said about the economy is tied to covid i would modify that it's tied to covid mortality and hospitalizations we have treatments now and they matter second bullet point the rest of the market outside of fang has labored since may the cyclicals, the reopening, the value, whatever you want to call it, really outside of FANG and, and the rest of the large cap tech, the market has labored. And that leaves a lot of room for catch up. Uh, finally, and this is also very important, whenever you have a seismic event like the onset, the original onset of COVID, there are always aftershocks. And that's what this is. It's not unlike the way the European Union threatened to, to blow apart after the financial crisis. There are aftershocks. They have a lessening impact their shock value wanes over time that's what's going to happen with omicron you should not be selling here
2: you should be staying invested so steve weiss jim kramer earlier on the network said don't panic if you panic and sell you're going to miss the opportunity and you're going to buy them back higher Um, how do you see things in light of what jim labenthal said and those comments from jim kramer
11: yeah I, i agree with jim and on friday i i sold nothing and I actually did some buying, some trades. I'm out of them all now. I even bought some Boeing when it got down. Didn't buy at 195 the low. Got at about 196. And bought a bunch of calls in some positions. And um, did well in most of them. The financials, of course, are still down, which puzzles me. They should recover bonds. But here's how I see it. I'm not really worried about this in terms of it hitting the markets. What I'm worried about is if it lessens... Uh, What we've seen as an easing of the supply chain because Malaysia, Asia, other parts of the world, and we're looking at Germany, they were on the verge, some of them, of closing down before this variant came out. So if this variant is found to be more deadly than Delta or some of the others, it could really impact the supply chain further and drive inflation higher. So what this does for me and the market, Jim's right, had been sort of like wallowing around. Some sectors have been in a downtrend for the last half month. But this what this really heightens is the second week of December in terms of its importance, because we had CPI the 10th. We have PPI in the 15th and we have the Fed decision on the 15th. Now we will also have the results, hopefully, because they said it'll take two to two and a half weeks of what the testing is on the variant. And if it's shown to be more dangerous, we know that, more, that there are more variants. There are 32 versus only two from Delta. So it's going to be tougher for the vaccines to take care of all of them. But that potential is a flashpoint for the market. We'll keep the Fed on hold. I'd be looking for them to accelerate the, uh, you know, the taper mm-hmm. and to tighten in the May timeframe. Right. I don't know, so there's a lot of for grabs. I don't think it's a slam dunk, market rallies to the end of the year at all.
2: No, but, but it certainly seems, Brenda, at least for the moment, and watching the intraday move and the tick by tick move, and we can put that back up if, if we could, that the market is at least for the moment today taking some comfort in what we heard from the President and Dr. Fauci moments ago. No more lockdowns, no new ones, at least at the time being no more travel restrictions, and at least some level of optimism about vaccine efficacy?
7: Absolutely. You know, I think that it's um, certainly... As time goes on, we're going to hear more data points. And we've even heard some suggesting that perhaps the degree of inf- of overall illness is not as great with this new variant. But we just don't know all those details just yet. But I think it's really important to maintain a diversified portfolio during times like this. Uh, we are similarly positioned uh, to Jim in that we are have not made any changes. We're maintaining an overweight to equity. But I think if you look within your equity portfolio, it's important to have exposure to both Growth names, large-cap tech names in particular, uh, those are, in this market, certainly regarded as being safe. They're what works every time there's been a global growth scare. Um, And then have exposure to some cyclical reopening stocks as well, because I think that really will be the ultimate driver of the market if we look out over the next six to nine months, if and when we do truly begin to reopen. So I think it's important to have exposure to both of those categories within a portfolio, knowing that they're probably not going to work at exactly the same time. And that's okay. It's part of having a diversified allocation.
2: The other point, Joe, is that, you know, I wonder if stocks are more vulnerable today, given the fact that we've had this melt up going into this news and some calls for a correction being imminent, whether it was a technical call from Fundstrat or others suggesting that we we're going to have some sort of pullback before a year-end rally. I wonder how you think about that issue.
1: So I, I think that we are in the process of completing a extremely complicated but educational week for all of us. Uh, the viewers, what they could learn from this is, remember, heading into the news of Thanksgiving evening, we were questioning whether technology was the place to be. Last Monday, you had a significant reversal for both the S&P and the NASDAQ. We were questioning a lot of the holdings, in particular, for hyper-growth stocks on Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, today, and on, because of the news on Thursday evening, we love technology once again. So I, I think the lesson really is exactly what Brenda is talking about. It's take your debt-laden cyclicals and forget them. Take your hyper-growth technology stocks and forget them. Find an Adobe Find an Intuit, buy one of those, and at the same time, buy a J.P. Morgan, buy an American Express. Take a look at what you personally hold. Scott, I absolutely believe the street is underinvested in healthcare. Go find an Anthem, an AbbVie, and increase your exposure to healthcare. Because guess what? We're learning healthcare is the solution. Real estate exposure. My real estate exposure, it is not where it should be, given the performance we've seen year to date. Look at a public storage. Look at a Prologis. Two names that I'm looking at. So I just look at the entirety of this week and I say, okay, it's really time to understand what your risk is in the market, because you've had two strategies, the growth strategy and the value strategy, absorbing a tremendous shock. And I'm not smart enough to know which one of those I should be concentrating in a particular direction based on what the outcome is going to be for Omicron or if the Fed is or isn't going to taper fast enough.
2: I understand, but I still see you guys making moves uh, that I find interesting at a time where we're all seemingly urging our viewers to be cautious, not to panic, not to do anything rash because you may regret it. Or as Jim Cramer says, if you want to buy something back, you may have to buy it back higher. I see Steve Weiss selling United Airlines this morning. You sold the Jets ETF, and we both know you're not doing either of those moves if this new variant is in top of mind and causing all this global concern right now, Steve.
11: Yeah, well, first of all, I sold the Jets over a week ago. Uh, that trade wasn't working out. I didn't see it really working out. I had concerns about UAL going into this. It's been terrible. I just I think that this will do two things, Omicron. I think, one, it'll have a chilling effect on some travel, and particularly international travel, where United is the largest of all the domestic carriers. That's number one. And number two, uh, it's going to keep perhaps older people from coming back into the workforce. So, look, I, you know, I haven't done much of anything else. I did, there's one thing which I didn't put in my disclosures, which is I sold some Moderna calls way above the market. Uh, I think it was the 390s, just because the premium was ridiculous and the stock would have to go over 400, which it may do, but I thought it was just a good trade on options expiring this Friday. So my portfolio is constant. I was looking to lighten up a little bit more. I had lightened up but not taking this opportunity to do it. I would point out that despite the market recovery, the advanced decline line in the Nasdaq is skewing towards decliners. So I do think we'll bounce a little more because there's no news coming out and we have such a violent, quick decline. But I'm not looking to buy anything unless it's really, really on sale. And I'm not seeing that just yet.
2: But if if we're, Joe, going to be somewhat prisoner to incremental news now, which could come hourly, daily, or, or what have you, regarding this new variant and the vaccines. Um, is it dangerous to make moves in your portfolio based on where we currently stand today? I look at you, sold the Jets ETF as well. And again, I find it hard to believe that you would make a move like that absent this news.
1: Oh, I sold the Jets ETF because I'm down 18% on the position. So Whatever the reason is that that 18% loss is being incurred in my portfolio, uh, that, that's going bye-bye. I, I don't like to lose 18% on any given position. Uh, I agree with what you're, you're suggesting and quite candidly, Scott, much of my activity both on Friday and today has been in the futures market. I've probably traded more crude oil futures between Friday and today than I've collectively traded in the last five years. I've traded probably more NASDAQ and S&P futures than I've traded in the last five years. So uh, I'm trying to find opportunities. I gave the viewers some stocks that I'm looking at. Uh, I am looking to increase, as I said, real estate and healthcare exposure. But I'm going to be certain if I'm stepping in and I'm buying in one particular strategy, whether it's growth or value, I'm making sure, to Brenda's point, I'm diversifying and offsetting that with a holding on the other side of that strategy. Well,
2: I mean, the most bullish people out there are not changing their calls by any stretch. Tom Lee today, we would be aggressive buyers of the pullback city, buy into any dip. Credit Suisse. They look at the VIX and spikes in volatility. The VIX jumped from 18.6 to 28.6. They say that kind of move is most often followed by robust reversals. Uh, Let's bring in Ed Yardeni now. He's the president of Yardeni Research, also the author of the new book titled In Praise of Profits. Uh, People are trying to hold on to the profits they've gained this year, Ed, and they've been sizable in the Uh, S&P. Where do you think we are today now?
8: Well, I I think the market's going higher. It's still a bull market, in my opinion. Uh, my target for year-end, we're getting closer to it, is 4,800. And uh, next year, I think we're going to go to 5,200, and the year after that, 5,500. Uh, these are not huge increases. Uh, they're really very consistent with a, a normal growth uh, rate of, of earnings around 6%, 7 8%. Uh, what is unusual would, is my assumption that uh, the valuation multiples are going to stay elevated at, at these levels. And I think the reason for that is because there's just so much liquidity in the system. It's it's mind-boggling. I mean, uh, M2, relative to its trend before the pandem- pandemic, is about $2.5 trillion higher. And so I think there's still a tremendous amount of uh, money that's earning nothing uh, that uh, is available to come come into the market. And as we get these uh, panic attacks, and this is panic attack-, panic attack number 71. I've been counting them. Uh, it's just a one-day event where people get totally frightened. But I do count it as a panic attack. Um, the more we have of these that don't turn out to be corrections or bear markets, the more that cash is going to come into the market.
2: I know but how could we just write this off as a panic attack when we don't have any answers yet I, I feel like well, we're, uh, we're I, some yeah. everybody's now collectively collectively suggesting, oh, this is no big deal, it's just a big scare. Yeah. You should buy the right. dip, and everything's going to be great
8: no, that's a, that's a very good point And look, you also made a good point that the, the reason the market uh, you know went up slightly and didn't go down on Biden's comments is because he said no lockdowns. The market just doesn't want any lockdowns. It, uh, it doesn't want to see uh, things getting shut down again. And I think it's uh, it's reasonable to believe that uh, this uh, variant is going to turn out to be like the Delta. We had, a I think, a one-week sell-off in the summer on uh, on Delta. It didn't last very long. and It was about the same, same magnitude. Uh, I'm, I was very encouraged on Friday to see that the drug makers came out, uh, Pfizer and Moderna, and they said that uh, well, they could probably tweak their uh, vaccines uh, for, for this uh, uh, v- variant. I mean, we have the, the flu epidemic every year and it comes out in different uh, variants and uh, we tweak them. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't. But on on balance, we're, we're learning to, to live with this thing.
2: Th- this is true. Uh, again, I-, I would just wonder, you know, what kind of impact is there going to be on on global growth? Uh, that's certainly one thing. And then, as Steve Weiss suggested, the real concerns that you have even more Supply chain issues. If we're talking about more severe measures, regardless of whether the the virus is more virulent or not, the fact that it might be more transmissible in this form could cause more lockdowns in factories and manufacturing facilities throughout Southeast Asia. You could only accentuate some of the issues to the supply chains, which could lead to further inflation, which puts the Fed in a real pickle.
8: Yeah, well, I I think the Fed uh, is going to taper. I think they may taper at a faster pace. Uh, I'm in the uh, two, two rate hike camp uh, for next year. I, I think rather than going for three or four rate hikes, they'll probably raise the inflation target from 2% to 3%, so they'll move the uh, the, the, the goalpost. And uh, look, I'm I'm looking at some of the economic indicators uh, uh, like durable goods that came out last week and uh all-time record high, extremely strong. And I'm looking at shipments relative to durable goods, and I don't see that they're lagging that far behind. So I'm wondering whether there's a, a little bit overhype here on this uh, supply chain issue. I mean, clearly we can see the the boats that are floating out there in the L.A. port, but that's because uh, the West Coast port traffic is at an all-time record high. Uh, We've had a demand shock is really what we're seeing here. uh, And having some slowdown in the demand shock would probably relieve a lot of the supply shock.
2: And as I let you go, 4,800, you said your target, and you're not wavering at all.
8: Well, it's pretty close, and so no.
2: Well, you could lower it. (laughs) <laughs> All right, Ed, I appreciate I uh, appreciate speaking you. to you as always. That's Ed Yardeni, the president of Yardeni Research. For more on the Fed, what it may do, what it may not do, let's bring in our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman. Uh, Steve, it's good to have you here. Uh, in light of this new news, what do you think Jay Powell's thinking today?
12: Yeah, if, if, I, if you might, got a little context here, which is we had just arrived at a new consensus which was the idea of a faster taper. And that came from some of the stuff that Ed was talking about, the better economic data we'd had, uh, also the idea that inflation was up, and some commentary from Fed officials that, hey, maybe we need to speed this up so we can get the rate hikes quicker next year. So that was on Wednesday. Get the holiday, eat some turkey, come back on Friday, Omicron. And now there's a new, new consensus, and that new consensus is that the Fed will not be speeding speeding up the taper. They may yet come back in January. When I look at Fed probabilities, it's dialed down considerably, and I've been watching the May probabilities. That's where you want to find – you want to look to find the – chance of a rate hike uh, of, a, of a faster taper. It's down a 34 percent, almost a 20 more than a 20 point drop. And all the probabilities are down across the curve for next year. Um, so two rate hikes still possible. What Ed was forecasting. But markets more settled on one for sure. Thinking about two and the idea of a faster taper, Scott, seems increasingly off the table. So, here. Jim, does that mean,
2: Jim Labenthal, that liquidity mm-hmm. once again will trump everything? You get a slower yes, it taper. It doesn't doesn't speed up. You know, it's feds going to Look, they've been deliberate and they're going to take a wait and see approach. As long as there is the amount of liquidity flowing that is flowing today, that's all that matters.
3: Um, Scott, yes, you and I have been doing this a long time and I'm not going to force you to agree with me, but I will state that the Fed is the most powerful force out there. Um, now, I will also say this, and Steve, I think, will agree. Um, the market, whether it's odds on taper being accelerated or the first rate hike, they're very capricious. You know? And that could change tomorrow um, if we find out that Omicron is maybe not as, as pervasive as we think or maybe not even having that many symptoms. Um, ultimately, what this comes down to, Scott, for the Fed and for all of us, is whether the economy is going to slow down. And I look at TSA uh, airline passengers set a post-pandemic record last week. I look at 111,000 fans in attendance at Michigan, Ohio State, and I submit to all of us, this is not a country or a society that is willing to shut down again. So the Fed's going to respond to the probabilities of economic slowdown, and I just don't see it happening.
2: All right, let me uh, thank Steve Leisman. Steve, thank you, as always. Got to run. You have a last quick point. You look like you're about to say something. Just make it quick if you don't mind.
12: <laughs> yeah, sure. No, I think I think uh, uh, Jim's right on that, that we're, we're going to have uh, you're not going to dial back. growth. We've learned to live with this thing. And I think the important factor is here. The way the Fed looks at it, Scott, is each new wave has had less economic impact. Jury's still out on this one. But that's been the trend over the last several waves. All right. I've, I've learned to read the leaseman, and I could
2: tell you wanted to say something. So I'm glad you made that last point. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> that's Steve Leesman sure. there. We do have more to get to after this quick break. The Twitter CEO, of Jack, well, former CEO now, Jack Dorsey's out. Our own David Faber broke the news. Josh Brown's calling in to talk about what you should do with that stock. We'll do that in two minutes. All right, we do have a news alert on Twitter. Our Leslie Picker joins us here following the money. Sounds like we're hearing from an activist, a certain activist. We
9: are indeed, one who's been involved in Twitter going back to the early days of 2020. This is Elliot, of course, uh, releasing a statement attributed to managing partner Jesse Cohn and senior portfolio manager Mark Steinberg, saying uh, Twitter is the leading global medium for real-time conversation and engagement. And our collaboration with Jack and the company for the past two years has been productive and effective. Twitter is now executing against an ambitious multi-year plan to dramatically increase the company's reach and value, and we look forward to the next chapter of Twitter's story. Having gotten to know both incoming chairman Brett Taylor and incoming CEO Parag Agrawal, we are confident that they are the right leaders for Twitter at this pivotal moment for the company. So, Elliot, clearly supportive here. This was a big issue in their initial campaign going back to 2020. If you recall, they did not love the idea of Jack running both Twitter and Square. Therefore, were Really pushing to remove him until they settled with the company, also along with Silver Lake, which invested a billion dollars at the time. Jesse Cohn was added to the board, as well as Silver Lake's co-CEO Egan Durbin. However, uh, Cohn did step down from the board in June of this year. It appears that Elliott remains a top investor as of September 30th, but we don't know what their beneficial stake is at this time.
2: Look, they, they know what everybody else knows. And I saw a tweet today that said during the greatest tech bull run ever, Twitter is up only 30 percent in eight years. Meanwhile, Facebook is up 1100 percent and the queues are up 315 percent over the same time frame. So maybe that's partly of, of where all that's coming from. Les, thanks. Mm-hmm. All right, let's bring in Josh Brown. Uh, right now for more on this news. Josh, so, so I just read you what the performance of the stock has been. You're not an investor in Twitter today,
0: but what do you think about this news? So actually, whoever sent that tweet, it's, it's, it's actually misleading. The market cap is up 30%. The stock price is flat with its first day of trading. It, it opened at 50 and closed at 45 the day it came public in November 2013. So actually in eight years, Nobody has made any money in the stock, uh, but the market cap has grown by 30% because they've been issuing themselves uh, stock, the employees. Um, so it's actually worse than you think. This is a really interesting situation now, Judge. This is a pint-sized corporation. They're doing about three to $4 billion in annual sales, which, to put that into context, is roughly the size of the Olive Garden chain, okay? But the megaphone that that 3 to $4 billion is derived from is galactic. It is the loudest megaphone you could possibly own in the world, which sets up a very a, a very interesting situation. Clearly, this platform has been under-monetized and clearly they have not been able to grow the average uh, uh, daily user count in a very long time. So I don't know that bringing in this new chairman or anything like that is going to change anything. I'd be much interested to hear if there's somebody that actually wants to buy this platform and do something much bigger with it. That, I feel, has always been uh, what should have happened with Twitter all along. And it hasn't yet. This might set that up.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, based on Faber's uh, early reporting, at least to, to this point, this isn't uh, cause and effect. You know, Dorsey out and then there's going to be a deal. In fact, he, he suggested that was unlikely. The other thing I'm, I'm wondering about, if you have such a great megaphone, as you suggest, and you can't grow your stock price in the current environment we're in and the one we just came out of where you had a president of the United States who literally did policy by tweet and caused people who had never had any exposure on Twitter to be on Twitter. When can you grow your stock price?
0: You can't. You can't. So. So the the, the problem is twofold. First of all, they actually managed to lose five hundred million dollars in twenty sixteen. When the, the new president essentially or the incoming president essentially made Twitter the center of his communication with the entire world. So it's really remarkable to be able to lose half a billion dollars while that's going on. So to your point, if not then, when? Uh, and I don't really know the, the answer to that. But I, some, something tells me something bigger has to happen, not just the new CEO. And we've tried multiple CEOs at Twitter already. So I don't think it's about leadership. I think it's about what is the purpose of the platform, because this is the only social media platform where the users, myself included, yourself included, every TV show, every movie coming out, every politician, the users are deriving almost 100 percent of the value of what they're doing on the platform. And the company that owns the platform is deriving almost zero. That's remarkable. That doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You couldn't say that about Snap. Snap. Facebook, Instagram, which is why I think something more transformative, not just another CEO with more promises, has to take place here in order for Twitter shareholders to really win. I don't know what shape that takes, uh, but, you know, to me, this isn't going to be enough. Yeah,
2: I got to bounce. But did you see MTTR today? Matterport's up 16 percent.
0: Judge, my eyes are glued to Matterport. I literally can't think about anything else. 17 percent. I, I can't sleep. <laughs> yeah. Super excited. What's going on? No, there's no news. I honestly have no, I have no idea what's going on today. But uh, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah,
2: all time high. All right, thank you. It's good to talk to you as always. That's Josh Brown. We do have the ne- uh, the new ETFs to watch, or the best ETFs to watch, or just the ETFs to watch. We're back in two minutes.
13: You seek the key.
5: And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. ETFs are often associated with buy and hold strategies, but a younger generation is starting to use ETFs in more active and tactical manners. Let's talk to Webull CEO Anthony Denier. Anthony, Webull, as an electronic platform, has a lot of demographic characteristics similar to Robinhood. Average age 37 million accounts. Before I get to ETFs, tell us how your investor base traded on Friday. Were they buying or selling? And what were they buying or selling?
14: above overall the retail investor is extremely bullish uh on this market as a whole so on Friday's sell-off we did see a lot of our investors getting active on some of the broad-based index etfs on the buy side and but like, surprisingly enough we we're actually slightly almost 50-50, slightly better to the sell side in terms of overall flow on our platform. So the ETFs they were looking at were SPY, the ARCs, going long with the bloodshed that we saw on Friday, but at the same time, utilizing the momentum trade with some of the inverse
5: ETFs as well. Okay, so while ETFs look to me like a small portion of your overall assets under management, the more active traders on your platform at Webull have a, a penchant for using leverage and inverse ETFs, particularly ones that leverage returns on the, on the NASDAQ 100, for example, or on the VIX even. Well, why right. is that? Why are they so active in these leverage and inverse ETFs? Well, a lot of the younger investors have a smaller AUM
14: in their account, and that may cut them off from some of the leverage that they can get in a margin account. And the further that, they also may not have the experience to be approved for options trading. So they're not, they're not even allowed to get some of these traditional kind of highly leveraged positions that some of the more experienced or larger AUM accounts can get. So they utilize these leverage ETFs like a T-Triple-Q, for example, uh, to get that leverage, uh,
5: speculative momentum and get some more beta against the market. All right. Thank you, Anthony. Now, we have much more on how younger investors are using ETFs on ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Anthony will be joined by Andrew McCorman, managing director at Wallach Beth Capital, and Harry Witten. He's the head of ETF sales trading at Old Mission Capital. That's ETFedge.cnbc.com, 1 p.m. Eastern time, halftime back right after this. All right. Welcome back. I want to call
2: your attention to shares of Disney. They're down one percent today, obviously so sensitive to uh, any sort of virus and variant news. Uh, but the new news today comes by way of Jim Cramer, who says his charitable trust is buying more in Disney. And you can get that, of course, in our investing club if you Go right there to that QR code, or you can go to the website, cnbc.com slash investing club. Jim Cramer saying after you receive this post, which moved just moments ago, we'll be buying 75 shares of Disney at roughly one hundred forty four dollars and eighty two cents. Following the trades, the trust will own five hundred seventy five shares of Disney. That increases the weighting in the portfolio from one point eight percent up to two point zero seven percent. So Jim remains a big believer in Disney and Brenda, you own that stock.
7: We do, and we remain big believers as well, you know, just think, especially relative to other companies within the streaming universe, knowing that Disney has lots of other parts of their business, but they just have multiple ways to connect to their customer, not only through movies, streaming, the parks, and also with um, uh, licensed content. So it's just um, it's a great story. It's acted terribly this year. We still think there's a ton of opportunity there. Um, and when, when and if the, the economy does fully reopen and recover, we think this company is incredibly well positioned to be in much better shape than it was even pre-pandemic.
3: Farmer Jim, you own Disney, too. I do. And, it, and as Brenda said, it has been disappointing. But uh, she does nail that there, there are multiple ways that the company makes money. I think what's important here is to note that it, it really had a bad quarter last quarter. Bob Chapek pre-announced it. But I think it's just that one quarter. I think it's one blemish on what's otherwise going to be a two or three year hold here where it goes steadily up on all those multiple ways to make money. So I think if you're not in it, this is a great price, as Jimmy is doing, uh, to get into the stock.
2: Yeah. J.P. Morgan reiterates uh, overweight price target today uh, remains at two hundred and twenty dollars. Let's do some final trades, if we may. Joe Terranova, why don't you start us off?
1: Scott Costco. All-time high. Best thing about it, it doesn't know what it is. Doesn't know if it's growth, doesn't know if it's value, cyclically oriented, technology. It's just a company that continues to work.
2: Yeah, it's a nice move today for that stock, two and two-thirds percent. Uh, Steve Weiss, let me guess, Moderna.
11: Moderna, and I did add a little to Moderna, and this just proves out the platform, that science platform, it's technology, and they can respond to any virus. Incredible speed, and you'll get flu numbers, hopefully, the results of the trial coming out soon, any day, as a matter of fact. That'll drive it further.
1: Okay,
2: Brenda?
7: booking holdings is far from an all-time high, but we think this is a great way to gain exposure to the eventual recovery in leisure and travel-related activities with a very asset-light business model.
2: Okay. And finally, Farmer Jim.
3: Yeah, Scott, I mentioned those record air traveler numbers. Uh, That's why I'm picking Alaska Air. It does not have international travel. It's got a pristine balance sheet. Great way to play the airline recovery.
2: All right. Good stuff. Good to see everybody. Thanks so much for watching. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
5: True or false, Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart.
2: Walmart.